Well, let's travel to the book of Colossians chapter 3. That is my assignment tonight. Colossians chapter 3 in the New Testament. And we are in a series or continuing a series from last week. Pastor Frank started it called Relationship Repair. Relationship Repair. Pastor Frank, for those of you that were here last week, talked about the wall of shame. He talked about Peter and how uh, Peter blew it when he denied the Lord uh, three times, but how he was restored. We also learned about how God created us to be in relationship with connection with other people. From the very beginning, he told Adam, or not told Adam, but the Trinity got together and said, it's not good for man to be alone. And so we know that we were created to be in relationship with other people. And I can't stress this enough. I know Pastor Frank has been saying this, and I know that we're living in challenging, difficult times, but I want to echo what our pastor has been saying. It's time for us to come back to the house of God. It's time for us to be in fellowship with one another. I was a part of a small group on Friday night, and we were talking about this very thing, how there is something to be said about being in each other's company. And the scriptures tell us to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, even the more as we see the day of the Lord approaching. I understand for various reasons that people have to stay at home. But if you are able to come to the house of God, if you've already begun the process of going on vacation, Walmart, Costco, shopping, doing your thing, it's time to come to the house of God. Amen. And I'm thankful for everybody that's here. Give yourselves a hand clap for being in the house of God. But let's travel to the book of Colossians chapter 3 as we dive into our text. I'm reading from the New Living Translation if you're following along in the Bible app. Uh, Colossians chapter three, verse one. If you got it, as I traditionally do, say, I got it. If you need some more time, say, hold up. All right, I'm assuming we're ready to go. So it says in verse one, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Aren't you thankful that our Savior is sitting down, indicating that what he set out to accomplish was finished? And we can receive all that he purchased for us to have because he is seated in a place of authority. If it's healing that you need, receive it. If it's provision that you need, receive it. If it's restoration in your marriage, restoration with your children, Receive what the Lord has purchased for you to have and operate in faith. Amen. But it says where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of the earth. For you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming, not as here, because keep in mind, 
We are in a season or realm of grace where God is trying to save as many people as possible. But his judgment is coming. But we are living in a dispensation of grace, a season of grace. But it won't last. There will come a time where the door of opportunity to get saved will close. Are you guys with me? It's incumbent on us to live for the Lord today. Everyone watching us online. You used to do these things when your life was still a part of this world. But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other. For you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on. Somebody say, put on. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew, a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. Now, these next few verses that I'm going to share is where we want to park. But I felt the need to give you some context as we go into these next passages so you'll understand the writer's intent and his train of thought. So watch this in verse 12. Since, or in light of everything that we just shared, since God chose you to be holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy Kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Making allowance for each other's faults. Come on, somebody. Let me say that again. Making allowance for other people's faults. One more time. Making allowance for people's faults. With your spouse, with your children. And can I be real with you guys tonight? With your church, there is no perfect church. Make allowance for people's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with the wisdom who gives? God gives. Not the wisdom of the world. Not the wisdom of a talk show, not the wisdom of an unbeliever, the wisdom that God gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. I want to speak to you and thank you for standing as we read this text from the subject matter Proactive mercy. Proactive mercy. Proactive mercy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. 
We thank you that the flower fades, the grass withers, but your word, it will stand forever. Despite people's opinion, despite the opposition, despite the challenges, the difficulties, the uncertainties, we know that your word is the final authority and we stand on it, God, and we know that you are good and you keep your promises. Have your way tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can be seated. Thank you so much for standing. As I talk about being proactive, proactive is something that we are often taught on a daily basis. We're called to be proactive when it comes to our future, for saving for the future, having a 401k, having a savings account as a parent, saving up for your children's college tuitions or their plans after high school graduation. If you're a student in here, whether you're in high school, junior high school, or college, sometimes you have to be proactive when it comes to assignments. You have to be proactive when it uh, comes to going to your teachers and asking them for assistance because you know that this is a particular subject that you're going to struggle with. Can I get an amen? We have to be proactive when it comes to our walk with the Lord. We have to be proactive and say to ourselves, you know what? Every day I need to make a commitment to spend time with my father because I know how I am outside of him. I know how impatient I can become. I know what temptations that I deal with on a regular basis. So I have to be proactive and make sure that I spend time with him so that I walk in the spirit in that day and not in my flesh. Are you guys with me? But I want to talk to you tonight as we are in this series, Relationship Repair, about having proactive mercy. Before we deal with our scripture at hand, it's important to understand the purpose of Paul's letter. For you Bible readers out there, and all of us should have a desire to study God's word, it is important to understand the author of each particular book. Who were they writing to? What was the purpose of the letter? What was the culture of the day? What were some of the issues that precipitated such a letter? And we're going to deal with that. But he was writing to a church in Colossae, which was a city in Asia Minor. Like many of Paul's letters, this one was written while he was in prison in Rome. It's interesting to note that Paul had never visited Colossae. Evidently, the church had been founded by, and I know that I'm going to butcher this name, so forgive me in advance, Epaphras, I think it's said, or it's it's pronounced another way, so we're just going to say E, all right? That it was founded by E and other converts from Paul's missionary travels. The church itself, and listen to this, the church itself had been since infiltrated by religious relativism. For those of you that don't know what this is, this is the doctrine that knowledge, truth, and morality exist in relation to the culture, society, or historical context and are not absolute. We are in a culture today that feels like there are certain truths that are outlined in God's word that are relative. This applies to me, but this doesn't. I feel this way, even though God's word says this. But how many of you know that God's word is applicable in every course of history? 
God's word is relevant. It speaks to every situation that we could ever go through. Even Solomon wrote in his book that there is nothing new under the sun. He wrote this in Ecclesiastes. Some of the issues and temptations that we wrestle with today, those temptations existed 50 years ago, but they were just packaged differently. And even working with young people, I have come to understand some of the temptations that I faced many years ago when I was a teenager, not too many years ago, but many years ago when I was a teenager, those temptations still existed, but the access is more prevalent today than it was then. It was a lot, it was a lot harder to investigate or to come across certain things during that time. But now with the click of a button or even watching a TV and something coming across, coming across the screen, you can easily be led astray. Do I have any witnesses here in this place? But God has given us his word, which is truth. It's God breathed. It's God inspired. Yes, it was written by men, but these men were inspired by the Holy Spirit. And they wrote down as the Spirit was leading them, and therefore his word is trustworthy. The Bible says in Hebrews 4.12 that the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and the spirit and of the joints and marrow. If you were ever struggling with trying to discern, am I hearing the voice of God? Lord, what is it that you want me to do in this situation? When you read the word of God, the word of God will always be in cooperation with the Holy Spirit. These two work together. So when you read the word of God, it will divide. It will show you what is of the flesh and what is of the spirit. What is of God and what is not of God. We must stay in the word of God. But this is what the apostle Paul was dealing with. There were some believers that were attempting to combine elements of paganism. Paganism is, or Um, Somebody who is a pagan is a person who worships many gods or goddesses or the earth or nature. I appreciate all of God's creation. I understand that his invisible attributes are clearly seen in the things that he has made, even his eternal power in Godhead. But I'm not bowing down to a tree. I'm not a tree hurler. I'm not going to hug or bow down to a tree. I recognize it for what it is. It is God's creation But I understand who the author and who the creator is, and he is the one that deserves my worship and my praise. Are you guys with me? Not only that, but he also had to wrestle with secular philosophy. And this is where there is a belief that human beings are capable of being ethical and moral without religion or belief in a deity. How many of you know that at our core, we were born in sin, shaped in iniquity from our mother's womb? How many of you know that? If you've ever babysat kids before, if you have children of your own, if you've raised a child, you probably know that your children's propensity to do wrong is greater than their propensity to do right. And I'm going to go on and tell y'all straight up, that's true even of pastor's kids. All right? Their propensity to do wrong is greater than their propensity to do right. And I understand that all of us were born in sin. 
I've said this before, but many people have raised the question for various issues, was I born this way? And to people's amazement, I start off by saying, yes, you were born that way. All of us were born in sin with certain proclivities towards certain behaviors. Are you with me? But in John, the Bible says, Jesus speaking to Nicodemus, he says, but guess what? You can be born again. So even though you were born with these certain proclivities towards certain behaviors, that doesn't have to rule or dominate your life. You can be born again. Everything that I'm sharing with you relates to relationships. When when we have an improper perspective of who God is and who he created us to be, it will negatively affect our relationships. And we wonder why our nation is in the place that it's in. We wonder why there is fatherlessness. We wonder why there is decay and decline when it comes to spirituality. We must come back to what God has taught us in his word and do it with grace and with love. All of these things they were trying to combine with Christian doctrine. But how many of you know you don't have to add anything on to the word of God? It is complete within itself. And the word of God is sufficient to help us know how we are to live, how we are to act, how we are to please our heavenly father. Paul confronts these false teachings and affirms the sufficiency of Christ. He stresses Christ's deity, which is his connection with the father. He stresses Christ's humanity, which is his sacrificial death as a man on the cross for sin. Only by being connected with Christ through faith can anyone have eternal life. Let me say that again. Only by being connected with Christ through faith can anyone have eternal life. And only through a continuing connection with him can anyone have power for living. Christ is God incarnate and the only way to forgiveness and peace with God the Father. Paul also emphasized believers' connections with each other as Christ's body on earth. And this is where I want to spend the rest of our time today, parked here. Listen to this. When our knowledge of Jesus increases, so does our ability to maintain relationships. Did you hear what I said? When our knowledge of Jesus increases, so does our ability to maintain healthy relationships. Can I be transparent with you? And this is from a marriage perspective. I realize that there are couples in here and watching online that have been married much longer than I have. And there's a lot that I'm sure that I can glean from you. And I'm thankful for the godly couples that are here in this house and the godly example that you set. But in the 15 years that I've been married, there's one thing that I've discovered. Marriage has a way of bringing about sanctification in your life. There are a lot of things that you can sweep under the rug, that you can let go by. But when you are in close proximity to somebody on an everyday basis, they see all of you. They see the good. They see the bad. They see the patience, they see the non-patience, they see the humility, they see the pride, they see everything. And I know that in and of myself, I can be a selfish human being. 
I could easily just think about myself, think about my wants and my desires. But I'm here to tell you, as I grow in my walk with Jesus, as I spend time with him, as I spend time in his word, it is amazing as I receive the love from God, how that love is translated to my spouse. How that love is translated to my children. I could be studying even here at the office, reading the Bible or worshiping the Lord, and I immediately feel compelled to send my wife a text and let her know, I love you. You're the best thing that ever happened to me. Words of encouragement, words of love, terms of endearment, but in and of myself, I know that I wouldn't be able to go there. But when you are submitted to the Lord, and you're consecrated unto him. It's amazing the fruit that comes out of your life as a result. And this is not just in a marriage between a husband and a wife, because that is how a marriage is defined by God, by the way. A male and a female, husband and wife. But this is also prevalent in a relationship between a parent and a child, an employee and an employer, a church and a church's parishioners or members that come on a regular basis. When we increase our knowledge of Jesus, it flows out of us in our relationship with one another. I would venture to say where offenses abound, have we lost sight of who Jesus is? Have we lost sight of how much he's forgiven us? Have we lost sight of where he's brought us from? Offenses will come, but they should not override the relationship that we have with Jesus. We should always seek to make amends and true maturity is how quickly we can forgive. Are you with me tonight? When our knowledge of Jesus increases, so does our ability to maintain healthy relationships. Paul writes something interesting in Colossians chapter two, verses nine through 10. Listen to what he says for in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. Powerful. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body, so you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. You are not complete when you get married. You are not complete when you make a certain amount of money. You are not complete when you land that big contract. You are not complete when you have a certain uh, accomplishment behind your name, a characteristic behind your name, PhD, master's, whatever the case like might be. You are not complete until Jesus enters into your heart and that completes you. See, when we understand that we are complete in God, then we can stop putting unrealistic expectations on people that were never meant to fulfill a void that God can fill. I can remember when Judy and I were in premarital counseling, which is something that we do now with other couples. There is a chapter that we talk about in a book called Before You Say I Do, and one of the chapters deals with expectations in marriage, but I would take it a step further, expectations in relationships. Even sometimes when people come to a church, there is the expectation that everyone in the church is perfect, including the pastor. He has no struggles. He has no issues or she, that there are no issues within this church, but there is no perfect church in on this planet. 
All of us have frailties. Now, there are some expectations that are realistic, that there's accountability with finances, that there's transparency, authenticity. I get all of that. Don't misunderstand me. But again, what does it mean to have proactive grace? I'm going into this environment, into this body of believers, recognizing that everyone is on a path to become more like Christ, including me. And I have to have a reservoir of grace and mercy to be able to extend to people and not get offended and cause my offense to pull me away from Christ. You would be surprised over the years. I've talked to church members that have said this person didn't talk to me or this person did this or they said this or I didn't receive a smile or all sorts of things. And how many of you know that we wrestle not against flesh and blood? We wrestle against principalities and rulers of the darkness. It is the enemy's plan to want to keep you isolated and distant from God's church. But understand, we're all a work in progress. We're all growing in our walk with God. Is this helping somebody? This scripture is foundational to establishing and sustaining a healthy relationship. You are complete in Christ. You are complete in your knowledge. You are complete in the sense that there is no outside influences that are non-godly or or not godly that need to come in to complete you. Everything that you need is found within God's word and when God's word is taught. We have to get to a point where we can see what is false or we can detect what is false and what is real. But even when they study counterfeit bills, they study the real bills to determine what is fake. They don't study what's fake, but they study the real bills over and over and over and over again so that when something comes in that's counterfeit, uh uh-uh, I see that for what it is, that's not of God. This is how the Lord wants us to be in our understanding of him. But this scripture is foundational, as I mentioned, to every relationship that you have. Offenses usually originate, as I said earlier, from unmet expectations. However, we must ask ourselves, did we have unrealistic expectations in the first place? Right now, think about the difficulty that you're experiencing in a particular relationship. What expectations have you put on that relationship? Is it realistic? Is it unrealistic? Is it out of a place of insecurity? Is it out of a place because growing up there was a lack of affirmation that was there and this hurts my heart dearly to see people go through this? But you got to understand your worth, your value comes from God. When the Bible says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made by God, it doesn't matter what people say about you. It doesn't matter when you look in the mirror, when you're comparing yourself, as some of us do on social media. God says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. He knows the hairs that are on your head. He knows you're lying down and you're getting up. He crafted you when you were in your mother's womb and your life is not an accident. He knew you before the foundation of the world. And he has plans for you. Are we looking for something or someone to fill a gap that only God can fill? The more I've worked with people over the years, I've come to the sad conclusion that the lack of affirmation and encouragement from childhood has far-reaching effects into their adulthood 
than what was probably realized. Every young person, every child needs to know that they're loved, needs to know that they're valued. I'm sure if I asked in this room how many of you grew up in a loving environment where you were celebrated, where you were told that you were loved, that there would be quite a few that could not raise their hand. Instead, I was told that I was ugly. Instead, I was told that I would be just like my dad. I wouldn't accomplish anything. I wouldn't amount to anything. I wouldn't go as far because of my setbacks. Most of you know my testimony. Struggled with dyslexia, stuttering, struggled in school. I can remember when I went to my father And this was before he gave his life to Christ. And I said that I was considering going to college. My dad said straight up, isn't that over your league? Why are you doing that? Not all of us have received that affirmation. But when your mother and father forsake you, the Bible says the Lord will raise you up. That he'll take you in. That he'll be the dad that maybe you've never had. He'll be the mother that maybe you've never had. God can be it all because he knows you and he created you. This lack of affirmation, it leads to other things. At some point in our lives, when that's lacking, we begin the conquest to discover, quote unquote, the one. But God is saying, I'm creating you to be the one and then I will bring you the one. Stop going after the one and become the one and the one that I have for you will come to you. Can I get a witness? The Bible says that he that finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. It didn't say a woman who finds a man. It says he that finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. From my understanding, it seems to me like a man is supposed to look for his bride and not vice versa. It is a man that is called to be the hunter. It is a man that is supposed to take the lead in this area. But in working with young people, I have seen a lot of aggressive women trying to tackle down a man when the Bible says that a man should be tackling you down at the right time. I know I'm talking to people right now. Come on, somebody. As a good friend of mine used to say, it's tight, but it's right. Only when two people discover their completeness in Jesus can they truly fulfill their God-given role in each other's lives. Our security, wholeness, sense of value, it comes from God. Then and only then can we manifest outwardly what has transformed us inwardly, namely the Holy Spirit. Our previous pastors, Rick and Dwyla Flynn, first pastors in Commerce, Texas, they used to say in our premarital counseling sessions, You cannot make withdrawals from an account where you've made no deposits. You cannot make withdrawals from an account where you've made no deposit. God has deposited on the inside of us forgiveness, grace, mercy, love, peace, patience, kindness, humility, fulfillment, satisfaction, meaning, and destiny. With a full account, now we are poised and positioned to fill other people as well but we must receive it first. Are you guys with me? This is proactive mercy. 
Now that we have come to this revelation of what proactive mercy, and hopefully I've been able to explain this to where you can understand, how do we begin the process of relationship repair? How do we undo what has been done? I hear what you're saying, Pastor Brandon, but I'm in a situation right now where I need a miracle, where I need a breakthrough with my children. I need a breakthrough with my spouse. I need a breakthrough maybe with my church. I need a breakthrough with my employer. I need a breakthrough with my mother, with my father, with my family member. I need a breakthrough right now. How do I repair this thing? I'm glad you asked. Can revival happen in our homes? In our spheres of influence, in our church, with our closest friends or relatives, absolutely. Is there anything impossible for the Lord? He can do all things. Nothing is impossible. We all work in a process, and everyone is at a different stage in their walk with God, which brings me to my first point. Proactive mercy involves making allowances for other people's faults. Proactive mercy involves making allowances for each other's faults. In Colossians 3.10, it says, put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. Watch this. Book of Genesis, very beginning, Adam and Eve. Are you guys with me? Just track with me here for just a second. Adam and Eve made a decision. They were given a free will. They were told to not to eat of a tree, the tree of knowledge and good and evil. If they ate from this tree, they would surely die. We know that the death that God was speaking of was not a physical death, but it was a spiritual death because the moment that they ate from this tree, they did not plop down to the ground, but nonetheless, there was something that happened in their spirit. There was a spiritual death that occurred. But I want you to understand something. This did not catch your heavenly father by surprise. It wasn't like God was scratching his head like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they did this. Oh my gosh, I can't believe they made this mistake. Your God is all-knowing. He still gave them a choice, but yet he knew the outcome of the situation, and he already planted a reservoir of mercy and grace that would come in time. See, when the, the, the Bible says that when Adam and Eve sinned, what did God do? He slayed an animal. Many believe that before this animal was slain, they were vegetarians and they ate only vegetables. But this was the first time anything was ever killed. And the Bible says that they slayed this animal, God did, and he covered them with the animal skin. Now there is something taught in theology called the law of first mention. When something is first mentioned in the Bible, it gains traction and validity as you go throughout the scriptures. You guys have heard me say this. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. And the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. Everything that we read in the Old Testament is a foreshadowing of what was to come in the New Testament. Are you guys with me? Just track with me here. So he covers them with animal skin. And not only was this a temporary covering, but it also foreshadowed a sacrificial system that would come into play when we get to the book of Exodus with Moses. Most of you might remember that Moses established through the commandment of God a way for people's sins to be temporarily covered through the sacrifice of an animal. 
And this animal had to be the very best. This animal could not have any blemishes or any mistakes. It had to be the very best to temporarily cover people's sins. But how many of you know we didn't need something temporary? We needed something permanent. So the Bible says, fast forward to the New Testament, when Jesus comes to John the Baptist's baptism, he lays eyes on him and he says what? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In essence, what God is saying, from the moment that Adam and Eve made a decision to disobey my command, I already had a reservoir of grace and mercy at my disposal and I was waiting to bring it to pass. There was a series of events that had to transpire throughout the Bible, but in my mind, I knew and I already put into motion a way for them to be redeemed and restored. Every day, God leads people to place their faith and their trust in Jesus for salvation, knowing our shortcomings and our propensity to fall. He has already taken into account our past, our present, our future sins through the sacrifice of his son. We are called to be like him in this way. Every human relationship we enter into should make allowances for each other's faults. This doesn't mean we allow ourselves to be abused or to be trampled over like we are the scum of the earth. Don't misunderstand me. It does mean we always have grace on reserve approaching every situation with the understanding of God's grace being applied to us. This is helping you. If God has lavished his love and his grace upon you, do you have to win every argument? It's a shame, folks, but during this season, it has exposed the reality of our faith. It breaks our heart and our pastor's heart to see our church members over politics become enemies and end up leaving the church over politics. We are called to be above politics. We understand that Jesus, he has a kingdom that is coming and the government will rest on his shoulders and of his government and rule, there will be no end and he will deal with fairness and judgment. I'm here to tell you, he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. As a Christian, don't be dismayed. Don't be discouraged by whatever comes. I want you to understand something. The king's heart is in the palm of the Lord's hands. And like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. Don't become a victim of getting on the social media and going back and forth, making Christians look like a fool. Is it worth it? This is what I reasoned a long time ago from the onset of this pandemic and everything that we face. This is what I reasoned. God's word says, Paul says that I became all things that I may win them over. To the weak, I was weak. To the strong, I was strong. I became all things to all men that I might win them over. I may have an opinion on something. I may have a stance. But if that particular stance is going to alienate me from being able to minister to a particular group of people, I would rather not say it. Because the kingdom of God supersedes my opinion. The kingdom of God supersedes any argument we could enter into. We are called to lead people to Jesus. 
That is our assignment, is to lead people to Christ, not get caught up in political discussions on Facebook. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? We can repair these relationships if we would just pick up the phone, as Pastor Frank has taught us, and call the person. It's interesting, if we would just pick up the phone or set up a meeting to meet with somebody over coffee and just discuss, we probably have more in common than we even realize, but because of pride, we are refusing to back down. Oh, I'm talking to somebody tonight. He's asking us to have proactive mercy, to make allowances for people's faults. The next point that I want to make is proactive mercy judges oneself before judging others. Proactive mercy judges oneself before judging others. I learned this a long time ago. And I was taught this. As a spouse, you should never tear down your wife in public or your husband in public. You should always speak well of them. Even if there's things that may be going on in their relationship, why don't you bring out your faults but don't tear them down unless an agreement has been made to share this so that everyone can benefit from the conversation. I believe in building up one another and not tearing each other down. As it relates to a husband and wife, as it relates to a child, And a parent, as it relates to a church and its people, we believe in building people up. Well, you know what, Pastor Brandon? Like, this is just the way it is. This is just what I see. The Bible says, call those things that be not as though they were. Maybe your child is disobedient. Maybe your spouse is off the handle and they're acting crazy. And you're on the verge of ending it. But can I tell you this? Will you operate in faith? You go to faith church, but do you believe in the faith of God? Do you believe that God can resurrect this situation? Do you believe that God could cause you to fall back in love even though you're claiming to be out of love now or you've fallen out of love? Can you see your children walking in their God-given destiny? I know they may be talking back. I know they may be doing things that are contrary to what you would have them do. But are you speaking their destiny over their life even when they're sleeping? I know that this young man will be a mighty warrior for your kingdom. I know that this will be a mighty woman of God who will walk in your ways, who will fulfill the assignment on their life. It's time for you to open up your mouth because death and life is in the power of the tongue. And we got to proclaim those things that we want to see. I know that our church will be a beacon of light in this season. I know that when people are desperate and they're searching for truth, that this will be a house where they will experience love, where they will experience grace, where they will experience the word of God and be able to transform their situation and their life for the kingdom of God. We want to be that place. In Psalm 139, verses 23 through 24, the Bible says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Invariably, in every situation where a relationship is involved, this scripture should come into practice. Do you ask for God to search your heart? Maybe you're in a disagreement right now with somebody. Lord, 
search my heart. Is there something that you're wanting to reveal to me? Is there something that I've done? Is there something that I've said? Is there something that I'm missing? Search my heart, God. Help me to be the first person to forgive, as Pastor Frank taught us last week. Help me be the first person to admit my faults. Because if I'm going to be like Christ, and if I'm going to love, for example, in my context, love my wife like Christ loves the church, I have to be willing to crucify my flesh. I have to be willing to put my flesh on the altar and say, it is not about me. It is not about reserving my rights. You got to understand something. Hear me on this. When Jesus left heaven, he limited himself in such a way to where he could come to this earth and put on human flesh. He could have clung to his rights as Philippians 2.5 tells us, but he emptied himself so that he could come in a humble form of a bondservant. He didn't cling to his rights, but what do we do? I'm clinging to my rights. I have a prerogative to feel this way. I have the, 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 uh, situation has called for me to act this way and I deserve to feel this way. They should be the one apologizing. They should be the one coming to me. But God is like, what did I do with you? Did I not come after you? Were you not the one in the 99 that I left the 99 to go after? You know, we sing that song, Reckless Love, but when we understand the role of the father in the prodigal son story. The prodigal son was welcomed by his father. He went out to meet him. It's time for us to have proactive mercy on reserve. It's time. Additionally, thankfulness for all God has done for us keeps our mercy bank full. You know, I, it's very seldom to find somebody who's operating in a heart of thankfulness, who's also operating in unforgiveness at the same time. When you have a thankful heart, when you're going about your day singing to the Lord and rejoicing over all that he's done, it's hard for you to carry anger in your heart. It's hard for you to carry resentment and bitterness when you begin to think of the goodness of God. When you begin to think of where he brought you from, how he saved you, how he redeemed you, the people that he brought into your life, the material things that he has given you and blessed you with and given you richly to enjoy, it's hard to be thankful and to at the same time carry hate in your heart. Thankful people can worship wholeheartedly. Gratitude opens our hearts to God's peace and enables us to put on love. Discontent people constantly evaluate what's wrong with their lot in life and compare themselves negatively with others. They look to tear down and discredit, then embrace other people's success and rejoice with them. If you have a friend who gets a job promotion or they get married, or maybe they have an opportunity to get a new car or some sort of accomplishment that happens in their life, are you truly happy for them? Can you truly not focus on yourself and be thankful for the blessing of God that is working in their life? That is a sign of having mercy on reserve. That is a sign of being able to extend grace. As believers, we should always rejoice when anyone comes up because if they come up, we all come up because we're the body of Christ. 
So if you're experiencing success in your life, I rejoice with you because we are connected to one another. You may be the feet, I may be the hands, this person may be the ear, but we all make up the body of Christ. So if you win, we all win. If you struggle, we all struggle. If you're going through something, we're all going through something. If you're feeling the weight of the world on your shoulders, we are called to bear with the weak and to be there with them. We are called to live by mercy and to have it on reserve. We shouldn't be looking to tear down. When somebody is unthankful, when bitterness is in their heart, this is what happens. They end up seeing people that are successful and they look for things to criticize. They look for things. You know what? There's got to be something going on in their marriage because they can't be this happy. There's got to be something that this person is doing fishy because they can't be that blessed. There's got to be something because this person is so happy. Like, man, they're on something. We come up with every excuse in the book, but just not rejoice with them and be excited. I'm preaching to somebody tonight. Be excited. The last point, and I'll close with this. Proactive mercy understands the great responsibility of being a representative of Jesus Christ. You know, in our last couple of scriptures, he says in verse 16, let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Understand how you perform at that job, how you work, whether you're on time, whether you operate with integrity and character, is a direct representation of who it is that you serve. When you forgive somebody, when you give to somebody in need, when you forgive your spouse, when you love them, even when you don't feel like it, but you go back to your decision, think for a moment. God made a decision to love us. He saw all of our frailties like one of those old projector screens. He saw it on the wall, almost as if it was plastered on that wall. Every intent of my heart was before him, and yet and still, he drew me by his Holy Spirit. And he did the same for you that know Jesus. So if God was willing to make allowance for my faults, why can't we make allowance for other people's faults? This is how we're going to repair our relationships. Can I take it a step further? This is how we're going to repair our nation. This is how we are going to repair our communities, our marriages, our schools, our families. This is how we are going to repair and move forward when we make allowances for each other's faults. Making allowances includes being willing to understand other people's perspective, other people's point of view. Not going into the conversation with a preconceived notion or answer ready to defend, but I'm coming into this with an open heart wanting to hear what you have to say because I love you. And you're my brother. You're my sister. We're called to be representatives of Christ. Everyone stand here in this place. How many of you are ready to experience the grace of God 
in your marriages, in the relationship with your children, in the relationship with your jobs, in the relationship with your family members. There may be right now some conflicts that exist. And I'm going to pray and I'm going to believe God with you that God would bring restoration. But it starts with you making allowances for their faults. Do you understand the brevity of life and the forgiveness that you have received? Pastor Frank talked about this last week with Peter. When you are forgiven much, you love much. When you understand what you were forgiven of, how could I not forgive this person? How could I have the audacity to look at them with this discontent and this judgment, knowing what God has done for me? Our pastor, and I just want to honor him in this way. Pastor Frank is one of the most forgiving and merciful men that I have ever met. Amen. I've learned so much from this man in the four-year time period of what it means to forgive, what it means to operate in grace. There are times where I know he's been treated unfairly, and I probably would have done things differently myself. But this man is constantly having a reservoir of grace and mercy at his disposal. And I believe that's why the anointing is there. That's why the blessing is there. That's why the fruit is there. Not saying he's perfect. None of us are. But I've observed this. He is a man of grace and mercy. Let us be the same. With every eye closed, is there anyone here? You would say, Pastor Brandon, I'm sitting here listening to this message. Maybe you're watching online. I have not made allowances for my spouse's faults. I have not made allowances for my children's fault. I have not made allowances for my family, for my sisters, for my relatives. And I'm feeling convicted right now. I need to forgive them and operate in grace just as much as the Lord has done to me. If that's you, I just want to pray for you. Is there anyone here? You would be honest and say, that's me. I know this needs to change. I need to get right in this area. Thank you for that hand. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would sweep across this room, that your Holy Spirit would bring such a fresh passion and fire to be sold out to you, to be willing to understand the revelation of what you've done in our lives. I pray that we would be people that continually offer grace, offer mercy, even to people who may not even deserve it, God. I pray that even what comes out of our mouth, that we would guard our tongues, that we would be willing to speak only that which builds up and edifies. Lord, that you would bless every marriage relationship, that you would bless every relationship between a parent and their child. I pray that you would bring forgiveness and restoration right now to anyone that is here or anyone that is watching. God, we believe that you are able and we receive it now in Jesus name. One more question. Is there somebody here? You would say, Pastor Brandon, I've never given my life to Jesus and I want to make a decision to make him the Lord and Savior of my life. Because the truth of the matter is, your capacity to forgive will not be present if the Holy Spirit is not within. And the Holy Spirit only comes to live within when we submit our lives to Jesus. 
Is there somebody here you would say, I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I have fallen short and I need his grace. And in receiving his grace, I know that I can give others grace, but I need it for myself right now. I need him right now. If that's you, raise your hand. Anyone here? Anyone here? There may be some that are watching online. Let us know. Let us know that you've made a decision to place Jesus at the center to make him a priority. You're giving your life to him now. For the sake of anybody that may have given their life to Christ, will you repeat this prayer after me? Say, Jesus, I ask you to come into my life. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I believe that you died for me. I believe that you rose again. And I'm making a decision to repent of my sins and place my faith and my trust in you, Jesus. My life is yours. And I give it to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we give it up for the Lord in this place? How many of you were encouraged? How many of you are willing to make allowances for people's faults and to be the church that God has called us to be and to bring healing in our nation and in our communities? We can do it, church, but it starts with us. Let's go out of here and be grace givers and mercy givers and always keep it on reserve. Love you guys. Have a blessed night.